what do you want to do for the little stinger at the end? Last thing you saw a doctor about or strangest thing you've gone to a doctor for that you're comfortable talking about on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> last thing you went for or last time you went? Yeah. Yeah. Because George George could just fucking bury us with stories of weird things he sees. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that could be a whole plot on its own. George tells hilarious stories of from the ER. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we can just sit back and listen. This is episode 23, Remembering Dr. Alan Rich. The Snow Day podcast is up and running for 2019. We unfortunately all just heard about the passing of Dr. Rich, and we said to ourselves, if we were in a virtual living room, that is something that we talk about. So we're going to spend today's podcast talking about the passing of Dr. Rich, who's a famous Thompsonite. Then we're going to talk a little bit too about the family doctor and if there are still family doctors around and what their role is and what their role is in our lives. Just a couple things that I want to check back on. First one we got to get is Les, your friend Debbie, sent a tweet out saying that she listened to the the pod where we talked about none of us going to church, really, and that church isn't a big part of our lives on her way home from church. Wow, that's <laughs> impressive. <laughs> she, I'm sure she sent out that tweet in order to shame us all, Yeah, and good for her for doing so. Yeah, yeah. And actually, if I cared, it probably would have stung a little bit. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you something else. Uh, I'll tell you how dedicated a listener Debbie is. Debbie sent me a text saying she had listened to our uh, our Snow Day Pod Extra on the Carrie Brown podcast. And obviously, growing up in Florida, she had no idea what the story was, had no idea who Carrie Brown was. But she immediately started listening to the entire Carrie Brown uh, Somebody Knows Something uh, podcast. Wow. Dedicated listener. Shout out to Debbie. Yeah, awesome. Keep the faith, Debbie. <laughs> and so you mentioned the Carrie Brown. I was going to bring that up. Just We did that podcast extra, Les, you and I and Guy Hansen, and we posted it to the Carrie Brown Facebook page and actually reached out to David Ridgen, who did it, and he retweeted our tweet, and we got a bit of a bump in listeners and people checking out that podcast. So the downloads really went crazy sort of this past week. Uh, so a quick Welcome to yeah. anybody that we got through the Carrie Brown to to some new listeners. Hopefully you stick with the pod. The rest of the pods are a little different than that, so hopefully we don't fake you out if this is the second Snow Day pod you've listened to, but it did uh, it did generate a little bit of buzz, which, uh, which is pretty cool for us, I think. Yeah, I haven't even heard that one yet, so I'm looking forward to listening to that one tomorrow. Get on it, man. Join the masses. You're going yeah, to join the masses. Viral. <laughs> it's, it's the closest thing we've done to going viral. <laughs> Within two days of, uh, of posting it to that Facebook, group, it quickly became our most downloaded episode ever. So the power of a, of a little marketing push on display there. Right. Well, since we're talking about medical, maybe it didn't go viral, but maybe it went like a rash, like a sore throat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a bacterial infection, just a local, local one. A little strep throat. <laughs> a little strep throat. Oh, our, our podcast went strep, what? <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Alvarez, for weighing in. <laughs> Aaron Goble, remember Aaron from the public transit in Toronto? She listened to the stuff episode immediately by accident after helping her parents clean out their house and declutter as they were downsizing. And she said, again, we're spooking her because it was just absolutely too timely for her life. So shout out to Aaron and Jason and Brianne Boulay at Christmas time. My niece and nephew, who I didn't realize were fans at all, sat down with me partway through the night and rattled off a bunch of highlights from the pod. So they are super dedicated fans. So I just I want to right. shout them out. I have a shout out. Do it. Let's have it. Guy Hansen, because when I listened to three of you guys talk, I had no idea that you had done the pod. Bruce texts uh, Steve and I, apparently, and I didn't get the text. And we went uh, totally ghosted. So Bruce thought he was getting slighted by Steve and I because we weren't on the pod. And I listened to it totally by accident. I didn't even know you guys did it. And I loved it. Guy Hansen was engaging. Shout out to Guy. Shout out to Guy Hansen. 100%. We'll have to try to get Guy on again sometime when we have the right topic. Today's topic might not have been too bad, actually, because I'm sure he's got some uh, some Doc Rich stories that he could share with us, too. But uh, we'll get him back on. And you're exactly right, George. I, I had sent it to you and Steve and then heard nothing. And I thought somehow we had offended you guys. I was, I was actually getting honestly <laughs> yeah. concerned. 
I had to console Bruce. He was uh, he was concerned. I, of course, was not concerned about YouTube, <laughs> but uh, I did have to console Bruce. <laughs> Anne Harwood, audience engagement. Todd's mum sent a po- post on Facebook, and this really summed up. I don't know if you guys heard a lot about that pod, but I got a lot of feedback. And uh, what she said was some meaty discussion in this episode amid the holiday frivolity. Love the passion for the issues that affected each of the guys. A year ago. Colin Kaepernick was the recipient of the 2017 Sports Illustrated Muhammad Ali Legacy Award, and SI did a fabulous wow. piece on him. Appreciate you ending that part of the discussion on such a worthy wow. individual. Right on. I'm glad she uh, enjoyed the conversation. That's great. And she almost tied everything better together than we did with the Muhammad Ali Award. <laughs> Colin yeah. Kaepernick, she, she summed it all up. So uh, pretty yeah. neat words from her. Two fact checks. Jim Rudd called Steve. He thinks when you said it was the Monopoly guys were the yeah, people it that wasn't. got all their friends together and uh, Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, it was Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, yep. yeah. And Lester, you got a fact check on George too on the Atari. Oh, <laughs> I think I fact checked his math <laughs> calculation on uh, what the current day value of Steve's ninety dollar uh, game was or whatever it is. I can't remember the right. numbers. He said a thousand, and it was actually about three hundred and eighty-two dollars. <laughs> yeah. But just short, just short. We got to be honest with the listeners, that's all. Here's the disclaimer this is going to be a little unprofessional. There's going to be some swearing, some place between a locker room and a church gathering. Nothing we'd be embarrassed to play for our kids or our parents. That's kind of the zone. If you can live with that, welcome aboard. If not, thanks for giving it a try. Four friends trapped in a virtual living room by a virtual snowstorm. This is the Snow Day Podcast. With Dr. George Alvarez. I didn't have enough adult supervision. I'd let my child put his hand into a blender. Speaker, author, and leadership expert, Stephen DeGroote. You can't take away from Dr. Rich's commitment and his dedication to his patients. I mean, it was, it was unparalleled. Entrepreneur and guy's son, Leslie Hansen. Leaning back with a pensive look on his face, considering the options. Hmm... And me, I'm Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. A giant motorcycle collector, big into riding, fixing up motorbikes. He always sort of dressed like a motorbiker, but I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Let's move to a check-in. Most interesting, exciting, biggest story thing that's happened to you. Les, I'm going to start with you. What's uh, what's the highlight, man? What's the biggest thing that's gone on other than seeing me and Steve at, at New Year's? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no, that was great. I saw you and Steve, I think it was on Boxing Day that we got together, which was fun. Um, I was in Montreal for a couple of days for New Year's, which was fun. But I think my, uh, my highlight is... Uh, Stevie D came through town last week, and uh, I finally got to to take him to a Raps game. Yes, and, indeed. Uh, we had a we had a great time. He bought me a fantastic dinner, which was a which was a nice touch. Hey now, and uh, we saw <laughs> we saw a great game too. It came down right to the final bucket, and uh, Raptor win on an exciting final uh, drive and dunk by Pascal Siakam. So Stevie Stevie got to see a great yeah. games, which makes me extra happy that he was. Yeah, in town. it was great. So it was awesome. Was Thanks, Les. What a gem! Uh, since we're talking about you, Stevie, you want to go next? You you can't use the basketball game, man. Sorry. Les told the told the future, but uh, kind of the biggest thing was I went to Costa Rica uh, with a, a great, beautiful friend of mine, uh, which is really weird because I don't usually uh, take trips very often or at that time of year. Um, I saw some beautiful part of the world and uh, did as much as I could. Got a, we got we got a car and uh, toured as much as we could see in the in the little country, and it was amazing. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Uh, volcanoes. Ocean kayaking, jungle above the clouds. It was great. So it was it was pretty pretty good. And I got to do a little bit of work while I was there, so I could relax a bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
You are insane. Uh, shout out to, to one of our pals who I don't think watches the show, but Kenny Patterson actually has a house down in Costa Rica. Did you swing by for a hello for a couple beers? I had no idea, but uh, apparently our premier does, uh, and I should have looked him up while I was there as well. Um, but no, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know Kenny was out there. But uh, it was. A, it's a pretty beautiful country, pretty beautiful part of the world. I think Georgie's been there. Lester, you've been there before, right? I think. Uh, no, actually, I've never been to Costa Rica. Yeah, it was, love to go. Yeah, there. it was beautiful. It was beautiful, but it was tough to come back from plus thirty-six degree weather in Manuel Antonio to minus thirty-six in uh, Winnipeg. Uh, it was uh, the first time I ever really felt like I've done Sydney to Thompson, which is weird. Sydney, Australia to Thompson, and I. But this time it was insanity to try to adjust to the cold. I, I was just felt like I was going to die for the first twenty four hours. Says the Northerner. That's a hard switch. You lead me into my check in. I got asked by the Green Action Center in Winnipeg to write an article for their blog to help promote the Jack Frost Challenge. So I wrote a little piece on why it's good to get outside in the wintertime and it's good more for your mental health than your physical health. And it really got some traction on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that, which totally surprised me. I think you'd know this, Steve, especially because you do lots of articles and things like that. You just never know what's going to get any traction and what won't. Uh, yep. And this really resonated with people. I got uh, a couple of pages friends sent me pictures of themselves all frosted up today create a little buzz i think lester it even got you outside on uh, to's coldest day it did yeah it did inspired me brought me back to my roots <laughs> it wasn't quite minus 36 but it was it was also timely for the article because it's been cold basically across canada right now so the other little one is uh, in one of the podcasts a couple times ago les said you're more comfortable with a virtual hug than a real hug <laughs> when we parted ways on uh, christmas eve i gave lester a hug and a little kiss on the cheek and i uh, i just could feel him cringing inside but i love you broke the it. barrier <laughs> you broke the barrier it was a beautiful thing bruce i still remember it i snuck in there <laughs> well i was i was gonna take a i was going to take advantage of the buzzer beater and uh, run my fingers through his hair. I actually thought about it, but then I didn't. <laughs> Georgie, what you got? Uh, I got married again. Just kidding. <laughs> Bombshell, you guys. Long pause. <laughs> He's still letting it hold. <laughs> it, it, it's a combination of the topic that we're going to talk about and then out in the cold. I love the cold like Bruce does. I'm out all the time and Calgary's not particularly cold, but I got hurt. And you guys know this. I rarely get hurt. Mm. I'm never sick. And so I, I basically had my first real injury of my life uh, that happened during skiing. And I didn't even know what happened in skiing. It sort of manifested the following day on New Year's Eve playing squash. And I was held up. Like, I mean, I couldn't sit up. I was crawling on my hands and knees. I didn't have enough core strength to like sit up. And uh, for a few days there, I felt uh, crippled. And uh, I don't, it's hard to be humbled, but this was a humbling experience. And I'm finally sort of back on track. So that was my big thing is getting hurt, which was weird for me and really weird for my kids because they were freaking out seeing dad on his back. Oh, yeah. So that's what happened to me, yeah. but I'm back. George, did they end up having to stitch up your rectum or did it feel on its own? Well, I made sure it was exit only. Remember, Bruce, when we talked about how I can't share what happens to me medically? And no one ever asks me, because you guys are pricks, uh, how I'm doing. This is exactly why I get fucking zero sympathy from these guys. Oh, Fuckers. you, come on. We, I called you uh, checking in, man. Don't, don't play that. I know, like two yeah, weeks later. So did I. We were all concerned about you having your first real legitimate sports yeah. injury. I was actually kind of proud of you. I was excited for you. A, yeah. a real sports injury. Yeah. For the listener, I'm not some obese, sedentary man. This is, it, it really hurt me. <laughs> I know exactly how you feel, though, George. I pulled one of those once where uh, you're totally laid up and you just don't realize how much you use your core muscles until you can't use oh. them, right? And, uh, oh, boy. It's like every, it's like every injury. You, you, you can't totally empathize with someone until you've gone through it and then you just think, man, this is oh, bloody yeah. awful. I'd be rich. Dr. Rich was an icon in Thompson. He passed away earlier this week. We sort of had some other ideas lined up for this podcast, but we had it scheduled. And when that happened, a few texts bounced back and forth between us. And we said, if we were in a living room, 
this is what we would be talking about for sure, one aspect of it or another. So we kicked it around a bit and talked to producer Mike. He actually did a little work for us. Oh, right on. And uh, said, absolutely, you guys got to get on top of that. So, George, you worked with Dr. Rich a little bit. I think you were a resident or spent some time sort of in a professional capacity, but also uh, you lived just down the street from his office. Do you want to give us a little Doc Rich history? Maybe I'll start off by my first interaction with Alan. I mean, he was a gentleman, you know, that grew up in Saskatchewan, went to McGill University and, you know, came to Thompson to work for the mine to pay for med school and then ended up staying. I mean, I think he came in the early 70s. So I knew about Alan Rich because when I moved to Thompson, Manitoba, he was by de facto my family doc. And the first memory I have of Alan Rich was with my sister. She was four years old, had really bad tonsillitis, had really, really high fevers. By that, I mean over 40 Celsius. And when kids that age get that kind of fever, they can have a seizure. And uh, my mom was freaking out. Alan Rich came to the house. And as most people know, house calls are gone. Nobody does house calls anymore. It was a little bit more common, obviously, in the 70s and 80s. And uh, he quickly realized that Bonnie was quite sick. And at that time, I was probably 11 or 12 years old. And he took Bonnie in his hands. My dad drove Alan Rich with my sister in the Ford LTD, drove to the hospital and immersed her in an ice bath because Tylenol wasn't working. And my sister actually recalls that event at four years of age that she was immersed in an ice bath because he thought she was going to seize. So that was my first sort of glimpse at what a doctor did because I never went to the doctor. I was never sick. So that kind of started my history with Alan Rich. So that's my first story. Um, And then my second one, fast forward, you had to do your family rotation rurally. So I knew automatically that I was going to do it with Alan Rich, come back to Thompson. I was in med school. I wasn't coming home as recently. And it happened to fall over my 25th birthday in October. So I came up to Thompson, and I'm not sure if you and Marnie had already come back from Hamlet of Joehaven. For sure, Steve was living there on Brandon. And I delivered Donovan and Bobby's second kid. So it's a huge span of history I have with Alan Rich, from him taking care of my daughter, or my daughter, Bonnie, uh, to you know delivering Tyrell, Donovan and Bobby's kid, who I actually just saw like two weeks ago at uh, his older brother's house. So yeah, that's my Alan Rich history. Yeah. And I mean, taking that another step further with some of the things in town, he was a huge judo guy for a long time. (laughs) He was a huge man to start with. I shouldn't just say huge judo guy, but a a really big guy. I don't know how just everything about him is was a huge presence. Uh, big into judo for a while, trained a bunch of people, sent them to national championships, things like that. A giant motorcycle collector. I, I don't know how much you ever talked to him about this, George, but uh, when he was here, he was big into riding, fixing up motorbikes. And then when he moved to Swan River, he's got a huge sort of like a barn full of antique motorcycles and a really impressive collection of those and some cars. Um, he always sort of dressed like a motorbiker mo- most of the time you saw him. So I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Got the key to the city. Uh, when Tim Johnson was the mayor, uh, one of the few people who has the key to the city, and I think a deserving guy for sure, just because there's nobody that grew up in Thompson from 1975 to 2015 that didn't know who Dr. Rich was, and then kind of moved down to Swan River near the end of his career and kept his practice going there. So amazing guy. Les, you got a, a Doc Rich memory or story or something like that? Yeah, I have uh, I have two Quick stories that I'll tell, one from when I was very young and then one from when I was older in a professional setting. And uh, I, I think it's interesting, you know, or is anybody going to toss out, like, how are we going to um, actually characterize him in terms of Thompson history? Because I think you're, you're right, Bruce, that nobody who grew up in Thompson between 1975 and, and you know, 2015 doesn't know Dr. Rich. Like when we were kids, he was just everybody's doctor, right? Like he's the, certainly the only doctor I ever saw as a child in Thompson. I couldn't even name another doctor from that era. And I think, you know, most people would say that. Um, is he, are we going to call him a Thompson legend? Are we going to call him a great Thompsonite? Like what are we, uh, what are we going to say? Yeah. I mean, obviously we're, we're dedicating an entire podcast to warm memories of him. So from a, from a committed, dedicated um, putting in the hours, it's unparalleled. Like um, 
you know, he, he was yeah. phenomenal. I think, you know, towards, you know, he was a bit peculiar and he had different ways of doing things and was old school. And I think it rubbed some people the wrong way. And I think, you know, that's not important. And I think what is important is, you know, some of the positive memories people had. And, and like, like Georgie was saying, even long after, you know, home visits were done, he was still doing them. Lester, I think both of those are right. I think he 100% is a legend yeah, in Thompson, yeah. right? Just for, like Steve said, some of the peculiar ways that he treated people and just the fact that he was was everywhere. Everybody's got an, an interesting sort of crazy story about some very good treatment that they got from him. So legend, but also just a, a famous, or not a dedicated Thompsonite. It's it's both of those things. I think either yeah. one of those fits. So yeah. go ahead, Les. Sorry about that. He, he, he is the Thompson version of like the dedicated small town doc that you see in a movie. Like he was, he was our guy. He was our doc. He was Thompson's doctor. Okay. Two stories. One from my early childhood, which I think in, in chatting over the last couple of days, I think all of you guys, everybody has their own version of this story. But I remember being... I don't know, eight or nine years old and farting around with my brother and I managed to put my fist through a window and I cut my hands and had uh, had to go get stitches. And Dr. Rich, not only was he an enormous man physically, but he also was very gruff, oh, right, yeah. in his presentation. <laughs> and he was sometimes kind of hard to understand. He mumbled yeah. a lot, you know, so he was just like this big, hulking, intimidating guy. I, I always remember him saying to me, look, kid, here's the situation. You're going to get the stitches and they're going to hurt, or you're going to get a great big needle that's going to hurt, and then the stitches and they're going to hurt. So what do you want? And I, of course, chose to pass up on the needle and get no freezing in my hand and just take the stitches, which is a story. My dad does a better version of telling that story because, of course, he was the adult in the room going, huh, I wonder if this really makes sense. But uh, talk, to me out of, talk to me out of the needle. I think, Steve, you said you had a similar story. Yeah. He was pretty good for that kind of yeah. stuff. But then I also have uh, – so that's my childhood memory of him. And then I also have another memory. You guys remember this way back when my, my first real job out of university was in pharmaceutical sales. I had been part of the, the pharmaceutical company I was working for, had organized a video conference, which in those days was really cool technology, right? Like this would yeah. have been, I don't know, 1995, I think. So video conferencing was very new technology. The MTS center up in in Thompson had like one room from which you could do video yeah. conferencing. So we had to uh, like rent that room. And uh, I think we had arranged like the head of nephrology from Health Sciences Center was going to do a talk to all these remote centers in Manitoba. So of course I volunteered. I said, hey, I want to go to Thompson and get the Thompson docs involved in this. So I did. So I go up there and it's a, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like this is a pretty big deal. It's like the first, you know, sort of like big thing I've done as a young <laughs> professional person you know, wearing a suit, getting all these doctors together for this fancy video conference. Dr. Rich, of course, shows up late, like after the video conference has started, comes into the room, sits down in the very front, right in front of the video camera uh, for our room. And within 30 seconds of sitting down, just puts his head back, completely falls asleep and starts snoring at like a volume of eight. <laughs> so, so bad that I basically had to just bite the bullet and turn off the feed from our room and, and just message message the team in Winnipeg and say, yes, we're still here and listening, but I can't have the feed on from this end. It's just going to disrupt the whole conference. The conference ends, the speaker stops and Rich wakes up and is like, Oh, yeah, great conference, great conference. Okay, thank you. I got to go. <laughs> and that was it. That was my one professional interaction with Dr. Alan yeah. Rich. Fond memories, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Can I add some uh, context to that, to those two stories? Please. So he lied to you. You should always put in freezing before you put in stitches, but it's one of those common things that people talk about all the time. So I remember you telling me that story and laughing. <laughs> and two, when I worked, uh, I was in med school, I remember you immediately calling me and telling me that story. So when I went up and worked with Alan Rich, it was very clear that he had undiagnosed, untreated, severe sleep apnea. Like it was very clear to me when I was doing my family medicine residency that he had a medical issue that was not dealt with, which is why he constantly yeah. fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a really unrecognized problem back then. It still is underrecognized now. I mean, one of our best buddies, shout out to Fred Mighty, had a sleep disorder problem that was 
undiagnosed for many, many years because he wouldn't be the typical guy that you would think about. And Alan Rich just never slept that night. We just thought Freddie loved the catnaps in between the parties on the weekends, falling asleep from uh, Pickroll to uh, Riverside Drive. <laughs> it's like a it's a, t- a two-minute drive, man. It's not even, you can't even get through one, one Def Leppard song and Freddie's sleeping with his face up against the window. I loved it. You know, we're telling these funny stories, but, you know, he, like, picked up Bonnie. Uh, he came to our house, because it's funny, because last you mentioned the MTS building that was right across the street from our house. To the right was the Northern Inn, which Dr. Rich ate at every day. It was called the Rainbow Inn. And to the right of that was the professional building. So we saw him all the time, and he was our doctor. He Not only did he have sleep apnea, George, the guy was up, his light was on, and his motorbike was parked out at the professional building, because I worked at Chicken Chef when I was a teenager. And he was there anywhere from one in the morning till five in the morning. They had crazy hours. And I had a story too where my dad was in the room and my dad is old school European, right? So the same thing. Do you want uh, do you want freezing for this? And I, he didn't even ask me. He looked at my dad. My dad shakes his head. And I could still remember I had either something in my heel that needed to be kind of removed. And I remember Dr. Ha- uh, Rich's big hand squeezing my ankle. And I knew when I felt the squeeze <laughs> that it wasn't going to be pain. It wasn't going to be painless. And I looked in his other hand and he had a razor blade. It wasn't a scalpel. And he dug this thing out of my heel and it hurt like crazy. It just took so long. Like I'd wait two and a half hours to see Dr. Rich. When I became a young adult, I remember he would answer all your questions. Even if you couldn't understand, it wasn't audible. You would, he would still, and I realized when I was older, the reason why it took him so long to answer the questions is because between his jaw clicking, and that was like, I think everybody remembers that. It was like, it's a fond memory of mine that he would click his jaw, um, but he would fall asleep in between his answers. And I didn't realize that until I got older, that he was actually not thinking. He was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Leaning back with a pensive look on his face, considering the options. Hmm. Yeah, and he'd had those saggy eyes. <laughs> yeah. He had those droopy eyes already. So he was halfway there, just on the on a good day. Yeah. And then he'd fall asleep. And I didn't realize as a kid, I had no questions, right? Yeah. So I'd be in there, sit in the chair, and he's like, okay, whatever, write the prescription. But as, as an adult, I'd ask two or three questions. And he wouldn't rush me along. That was the crazy thing, right? Like, he would literally answer all your questions. And uh, that was part of his dedication, I think, in the office. Um, And like I said, despite the peculiarities and his old school way of doing things, you can't take away from Dr. Rich's commitment and his dedication to his patients. I mean, it was was unparalleled as far as I'm concerned. Unparalleled. The number of stories that we all heard of people probably like you, Steve, that either had to leave the waiting room because they got too hungry or yeah. just yes. kind of got tired yes. of waiting and then he would go to their house in the evening right like you, yes you you left this you left this afternoon that something obviously was bugging you because you were here to see me so here i am at your door at 10 o'clock at night with a motorcycle jacket on which in some respects could be a little scary you're absolutely right bruce <laughs> yeah that's a good point because it wasn't just a house call it wasn't that you know he was following up on an appointment my mother had to do that because she had four boys and she had to leave the clinic and he came over at 10 o'clock at night knock on the door, go to the door. And there he is, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, Your mom had an appointment today and (laughs) yeah, exactly. She didn't, she didn't stay and he came and followed up on it. It was, yeah, wild. Absolutely wild. Kind of like you guys, I didn't put it together, but now that you mentioned it, up until I was probably 16, going to the doctor meant going to Doc Rich. I didn't even know there was another doc in Thompson at the time. So that for so many people that was the doctor. Fortunately for me, I don't have a razor blade or a, a getting, you know, punched in the nose to get my nose rebroken kind of story. But uh, <laughs> there was a few years where we had to go get physicals to play school yep. sports. Yep. Do you guys remember that at all? Yep. The most bizarre thing ever. And the first one I went to, I went to Doc Rich and, and honestly got the, the drop and cough. Yeah. I think we may have, Bruce, I think we may have debriefed that one because it was both our first time. I didn't think that was a real thing. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. I'm like, uh, this is new. It's a good thing you were both too young to get your prostates checked because he had massive hands. Oh, man. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, thanks, Les. I just shuddered. Oh, oh, no. Yeah, he was, uh, his fingers were like fire hoses. It, It wouldn't have been pleasant. The next year, I, I remember I went to a different doctor and the, the guy said to me, how far can you run? And I said, like, what do you mean? If someone's chasing me? 
And I said, I don't know, as far as I got to run. <laughs> How far can you run? <laughs> okay, you must be in good shape. And uh, then he signed off on my form. <laughs> I yeah. was like, holy man, I went to the wrong guy last year because the Doc Rich thing was pretty thorough. So I'll, I'll, I'll weigh in on why you had to wait so long because those things that you said are all true. The other thing that was interesting when I worked with him is that he was one of the few guys that saw you immediately, meaning when I did my you know month with him, we would start off the day with about, you know, half of his slate full. And by the afternoon, it was full. And then there were names being fit in between his 15 to 10 minute appointments and then names. And then people would just drop in, usually homeless people, drunk people. And he would stop and he would stitch them up because they couldn't make it to the, you know, the hospital because they would just walk because they were all downtown near the yeah, they just where they they hung out. And so one of the reasons why you had to wait so long is he never said no. If you needed to see a doc, it wasn't like it is now. Okay, can you come next yeah. Thursday? He would say, come at one fifteen. It, it was one of the reasons why his day was so long and why you had to wait is because you could absolutely assure that people would call him yeah. up and he would say yes. That's why his days were so long. Yeah. And, and Bruce... The non, the not only the non needle thing. When I, Dave and I, because I, we got, I got injured lots with the the four of us. We wrestled and broke bones and stuff. And one time, Dave slammed my hand. He closed the door fully on my hand, and my finger was totally flattened and uh, started to swell really fast. And Doctor Rich just what he did, he tied my hand down to a board, like a two by four. There's just somewhere in like by his desk. He literally tied my hand to a board with with string. And got a little one of those uh, Bunsen burner kind of things that have the flame. And he unrolled a paper clip and he heated it up and started to burn through my fingernail <laughs> to let the pressure out. But it didn't go the first time. Oh. It had to go. He had to heat it up about three times to get through the nail. My brother Dave, you remember the professional building? He said he could hear me just outside the door coming in by the pharmacy screaming. And I was on the second floor. <laughs> I would have liked the freezing, I think, if I could do that one again. I don't have a lot of Doc Rich stories. I knew of them. I'm sure I went to see him, but I don't. I, luckily, I didn't get the paperclip treatment or the the no freezing stitches. But I will say that Doc Rich was the guy that treated my dad when he got sick and passed away. And he came to the funeral, and he came to our house after you know when we were having people over to our house. And I was just absolutely blown away by that. It wasn't like him and my dad were super good friends or we were any better family friends than any of his other patients, but I was so impressed that he took the time to to come and do that. It was a little awkward because like you say, sometimes he was hard to talk to, but that impressed me. And that just showed that he was a really a piece of Thompson, right? He wasn't a doctor that was blowing through here for a couple of years and moving on to something else. So yeah. uh, that, yep. that really impressed me. Dr. Rich was what we think and what our newspaper here in Thompson characterized as the last kind of of the family doctors or Thompson's most notable family doctor. And, and in the sense maybe that we get from movies in our head of the person that knew your family, did the house calls. Is there still that sort of a role somewhere? Are there some rural doctors, do you think, that are still doing that? Or has medicine changed and, are, and we're really more of a clinic in the hospital model? A lot of research is going into this. I think there are perception of the Norman Rockwell painting family doc is really antiquated. You know, I want, I hope Les speaks about how he's followed his family doc because he's going to be the last guy that does that. If you, if you take a look at millennials and generation Y, Z, whatever moniker that they have, their idea of a family doc is completely irrelevant. The Uberization of our economy and our relationships and social media Millennials just don't see the value of that long-term relationship, even though the evidence is quite clear that when you have a long-term relationship with a primary care physician, whether you're healthy or not, mentally, physically, you do better, you access the healthcare system less, you don't go to emergency departments because they're not emergencies, but most millennials, at least 50% by some stats that I've read, they wonder why they're a family doc exists because for them, they'll just go into a walk-in clinic They'll go to the emergency department. They are not in the same town for 40 years. I mean, just think about how much I've moved around, how much other people have moved around. I mean, I've lived in six houses in Calgary alone in the 13 years I've been here. I haven't even been in the same neighborhood. And I'm not a millennial. The idea that you get a doctor that stays with you for life is really a passing phenomenon. But that still exists in rural 
uh, Canada, but the world doesn't live rurally anymore. The it's clear that the you know we're moving into bigger and bigger cities. So I think the concept of a family dog is really a rural issue, not an urban. And even I got to tell you, I've been mostly disappointed with the family dogs I've met in Calgary because they do not have the same attitude and commitment that Alan Rich has. They are there to work Monday to Friday, eight to four, nine to five, take every weekend off, Christmas, six weeks of holidays, yada, 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 make a lot of money. So uh, I'm not shitting on family dogs. The ones that are good are really good. Yeah, but that concept's gone. It's a bit disappointing. Well, and I think the tricky thing, George, is is we still in our mind see the, the family dock as the rural dock, but for a lot of Canada that isn't 45 minutes from a major center, keeping doctors is a giant challenge. We're never going to, I shouldn't say never, our doctors turn over, it's insane how quickly people come and go. It's hard to get people to Thompson and then hard to get people to like them. And we're not unique in rural areas across Canada. So I'm sure there are some places where you still have that doc, but that's a challenge. In my mind, you have a better shot at having a family doctor in Toronto, where everybody, it seems where a lot of our doctors want to end up someday than you do in Thompson. So it's, it, it really is a tricky one. And I, I think you're exactly right. People just see that as someone that you, you plug into and you see them once and never again. Now, Les, you live in Toronto. Are there just family doctors at every corner waiting for people like me to move there? No. In fact, Bruce, it's interesting that, that you have that impression because I can tell you that the reality is the exact opposite of that. I have had, and I think this is what George wanted me to speak to, I've had the same family doc in Toronto since I moved here. So 20 years, 21 years, basically. I moved out here, you know, needed a family doc. I had just come out of working in pharmaceutical sales. So I called up my buddies in Toronto who work for the company. I said, hey, I need a good, you know, who's a good, young, smart doc downtown. They gave me a recommendation. I went to see him. And at that time, he was right downtown. And it was like, great, very convenient for me. Then, you know, he got a little older, he got married, wife wanted uh, a bigger house, so he moved a little bit north, and I'm like, yeah, okay. So he moved his office a little bit north, not too bad. Then he started having kids, and each kid he had, he moved successively further and further from downtown Toronto, because that's what happens. As you want a bigger house, you have to move further away from downtown to be able to afford it. And uh, I have stuck with him the entire time. He now lives so far north of the city that when I need to go see him, I basically take half a day off work and I drive for about 45 minutes on the highway to get up to where his <laughs> office is. But there's two reasons that I do that. One, he's just a great doctor and I have, a, I have the relationship with him that George is describing that doesn't really exist anymore with, with young doctors. He remembers me. He knows my family history. He knows my history. Um, I go in, we chat, we catch up on things a little bit. And then he, he just has like 20 years of history of my health. Uh, it's a really great connection. I feel like I get better health care as a result. But the other thing is, Bruce, and this is more to the point of your statement, it is incredibly difficult to find a family doctor in Toronto that is taking new patients. Like I've been at, at like dinner parties where the subject has come up and somebody said, yeah, like actually I got a great new family doc at the at a clinic that's not far from here and he or she is taking new patients and I highly recommend and people have been like eagerly listening and saying, oh, really? Like, yeah, they, they, they perk up because for a number of years, it was almost impossible in the GTA to find a family doc who was actually taking new patients. So you're therefore forced to go to walk-in clinics and see a different doctor every time. It's it's just been a, a real challenge. So Les, when you said you were driving that far to see your doc and you know working hard to keep that relationship, I thought two things. I'm like, one, does his doctor cut his hair? <laughs> what a combo! What a job description! <laughs> and it's like you have to sit. You only get to choose one, Les. <laughs> no, I mean I, I'm fortunate that I don't have to go see him very often. I mean, if I had a condition where I had to go to the doctor every month, I probably would have yeah. fought to find somebody closer. You know, but for for my annual physical to drive up there and see him is is not is not too challenging. And coming back to what you're saying as well, Bruce, about, you know, when you sort of get 40 minutes, 45 minutes outside of a major center, um, it's harder to find a doc. I remember, again, when I was in pharmaceutical sales um, and I had a territory uh, largely outside of Winnipeg, like I had half of Winnipeg and then all the way up north. 
When I was out in the country, in the smaller towns, rural towns, out like within a couple hours of Winnipeg, I would come across all the time pockets of doctors who were recent immigrants to Canada. And the reason they were out there was because part of their immigration process was they were coming from South Africa and they were getting their paperwork to come to Canada. And the agreement would be they would have to agree to practice in a rural area in Canada that was short of doctors for a certain period of time. Uh, and then they would get their full uh, paperwork as, you know, and be able to move to where they wanted. But they had a hospital in Pine Falls with three young South African doctors. And they all basically had gone there together. And they're like, yeah, we're here. We got to be here for about three, three and a half years. You know, then we'll go do what we want. But, you know. Uh, you know, Pine Falls was very lucky, I'm sure, to have, you know, three young eager doctors for that three year period. I have no idea what they what they did after those guys left if they didn't stick around. That's Thompson's story 100 percent. And we had a number of doctors from South Africa and that sort of tailed off. And right now it's docs from the Middle East and lots of them are great, but you just know that they're not going to be here for a long time or oftentimes they aren't here for a long time. So I think what Les is saying is true, right, George? Yeah. So there's a program through healthcare for international medical grads, IMGs, where these are people that are family docs, surgeons, anesthetists, specialists, who don't have the same level of training or don't at least match up to the Canadian healthcare system. And Canada is a coveted place to come. Our healthcare system takes advantage of that and saying, if you want to come to this amazing tax-based free healthcare system that you're going to get paid pretty well, uh, then you're going to have to give something back. And, and, they, and they put them, and it comes in waves, just like immigration has come in waves. Like I came in the 70s with European immigrants. What you guys are describing is there was a huge influx when people were leaving South Africa for all the history that it went through. Uh, then Middle East and Africa and India have followed, and now less so Filipino doctors and nurses are coming. So, yeah, they, uh, people want to come to Canada. Uh, and if you're a skilled migrant, which obviously a medical graduate is, you have a very high likelihood of getting a visa, getting a job, and then raising your family. It's a good ticket into this country. The problem is how you're, how you're trained is not always the same. 100%. Yeah, and we, we see that lots here at the clinic. When I worked at the clinic, we saw lots of those docs coming and going, and there was definitely... Uh, different levels of skill and different skills that they brought. The the good and the bad side of that is Thompson needs a lot of doctors, and at least we have some doctors here, right? We're kind of running that program down a little bit, it feels like, but there is a little bit of an upside to it that when you need to see a doctor, at least we have some people here, even if, unfortunately, we don't have the same relationship that Lester has. What's your situation in Winnipeg? No, I think similar to what Lester's saying, um, I was living in St. Andrews, right? I think I think it's different. Like Rural is different from suburbia now. Because I think suburbia is the new rural, you know. Doctor, it's hard to find doctors in the city. It's hard to find them in rural, rural, rural areas. But in the suburbs, like just outside of the city, I think is where they're starting to land a bit. A because it's more feasible, and you can commute and stuff, and still have a comfortable life. In Winnipeg, it was a similar thing. I do have um, uh, a really good doctor here. I got very fortunate. There's an Assiniboine clinic here, and there's a few clinics in Manitoba or Winnipeg that are they're like old school family docs that are like. You know, they started a practice and they said, we're going to stay here, land here. Very, very uh, good, good group of people. Dr. Robenheimer is awesome. And yeah, he you know, opened to taking uh, the boys. Bray moved to Winnipeg to be with me full time now. And uh, he's going to be his doctor. But it, it's hard, like Les is saying. It's still amazing when people are, you're in a big group of people and that, that subject comes up. You still hear people asking around, like, is there an opening? Um, and do you have a good family doctor? So it's still an issue, but I'm, I was fortunate. I got uh, got in to see this group of people when I moved back to Winnipeg. And uh, yeah, got a great got a great family doc. Like, he's actually awesome, cool, good bedside manner, um, and just really good, yeah. So that's my, uh, that's my take on it. Beauty fingers aren't too big, so you appreciate that. Well, yeah, yeah, I usually bring a pack of smokes for my, uh, for my uh, examination. 
<laughs> Do you think medicine has changed, especially in larger centers where there's more specialization now than when Doc Rich came to Thompson? So when he came here, he was a doctor. So we expected him to do everything from deliver babies to stitch you up to, you know, put a paper clip through your finger. Now, especially in a bigger center, you would go see, if you had a mole on your arm, you'd go see a dermatologist. And, you know, if you had other troubles, do you think there's anything to that, George, that especially millennials just think, well, I'm going to go see a specialist instead of just going see a one-stop shop? No, absolutely. That is a good point. I think there was a time where the general surgeon was the obstetrician gynecologist. They would deliver, you know, I was trained by general surgeons that did hips, that did hip replacements. Now, obviously, an orthopedic surgeon would do that. And the uber specialization of our uh, system. Man, that's the second time I used Uber. I don't feel good about that. The, the super specialization of our of, of healthcare, I think is disappointing to me personally. I fight against it. I'd like to think that I'm actually just a good general internist that specializes in ICU. And I'm forever trying to teach my young medical students and residents that, you know, you are the summation of everybody that's trained you. So you should have, you know, a pretty good breadth of knowledge, but that's kind of going away. And then the second part to that is the ability of the average person to access everything that I've ever learned, everything that I've ever read, things that are out right now that I've not read is unprecedented. So just their ability to access information, which has a very big downside, incidentally, but more, it's still positive. People come with information, whereas before, if you needed to know something about that mole, you had only one choice. You had to see Alan Rinch. You couldn't go to the internet and you know look at pictures of what my mole is. Um, now you can. So I think that's changed quite a bit. And on a final note, I don't have a family doctor. I want to admit that to the people <laughs> out in Podland. I'm so disappointed with uh, the urban family docs. And the last doc I had, uh, she was a clusterfuck. And uh, she clearly was in it for the money. And the last time I saw her, which is, must be six years ago now, seven years ago, it is clear that she was just trying to make money and she was into Botox and uh, was turning herself into sort of like a bougie boutique clinic, had no interest in following up patients. And it's actually the last time I thought about Alan Rich seriously, it was about seven years ago. I thought to myself, one day Alan Rich is going to roll in his grave, how sad urban doctors have come. And I know there's tons of good ones, so I'm not here to shit on family docs because there's lots of terrible specialists out there too. But yeah, I've uh, I've been a bit disillusioned. So I've actually been actively looking for one kind of for two years, feeling, ah, oh, you know. And then when I hurt myself three weeks ago, I thought, mm, maybe I actually do need a family doc, somebody that could look at me that's not me because, you know, I'll think I'll have a bowl or something terrible because I always deal with terrible things, not common things. I think that's a great way to just sum some of that stuff up. The fact that you brought us back to Doc Rich for all his idiosyncrasies or, or maybe not the absolute best bedside manner. We need more people like him in this world. And that's where you think medicine should go. And we trust you, even though you're the doctor and you don't have a good family doc. It makes the rest of us feel good that maybe we don't have family docs because if you can't find one, man, who can? <laughs> Quickly, lightning round. Last thing that you went to see a doctor for. George, we know yours. It's your back. Is there anything else? No, I didn't go see a doc. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. Like I, 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 I took a lot of Tylenol, Advil. I went to massages. I stretched. Like I totally treated myself because I know what a back injury is supposed you to. You went to Dr. Alvarez. Yeah, I went to myself. But I will tell you the last time I went to a doc was with my son where... A few years back when I started to lose weight, when I was, you know, tipping up at 225, 230, and I was, okay, this is terrible. I got to get back to my fighting weight of 200. I started juicing, like, you know, where you buy the juicer and you, you know, you, you, all you do is juice. I just feel like I need a cleanse. I you meant Jose Canseco, like you were on steroids. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> I was totally like, like pineapple yeah. juicing. My, uh, Sebastian was helping me um, do the plungering because it had this really high speed. And we had been doing it for about a week together and he just loved it. He would sit up, I would pass him stuff. He would throw the celery and the tomatoes and the oranges and then plunger it down. And then out of nowhere, and I was looking at him, he was so excited he put his hand oh. down into the spinning. 
and it was like oh, a Wes Craven movie. He screamed, he put his hand up, and blood flew up the wall on the ceiling <laughs> and around the entire kitchen. Wow. It was an insane, but he didn't cut he didn't cut off his finger, he just oh, yeah. shred the tips of his fingers. Yeah. But you know, he's a little kid. He bled like crazy. Carrie at the time was at a girl's night. My daughter, I think, was sleeping over, thank God. So I went into full doctor mode. I bandaged him up. I took him to the, the dock. And luckily, kids are you know, basically chameleons. They'll grow limbs because uh, they're just growing so <laughs> fast. And then he, um, you know, he's made a full recovery, except he can't feel the tips of two of his fingers. So that's actually the last time is where... I didn't have enough adult supervision. I let my child put his hand into a blender. <laughs> I'm, I'm still clenching my fists and my teeth just listening to that like, oh, yeah. Lester, what do you got? I don't have anything that exciting. I'm trying to think the last time I went to the doctor, I think was probably just my, my regular uh, physical that I had maybe three, four months ago. I do get an, I do get a, an annual physical uh, now. I don't even do that. Stevie, what you got? <laughs> I don't even do that. Uh, the last time I did a doctor was for sleep. Because I don't sleep. So I, I thought at one point, maybe beyond, beyond my crazy energy and just my mind and heart racing, uh, I actually went to a, a uh, my doc sent me to a sleep clinic. And uh, so I did all that stuff. And I was expecting like, you know, you'd never sleep because people have said like, it sounds like you stop breathing when you actually do fall asleep. And nope, I have uh, 90% oxygen all the way through the, uh, all the way through my sleeps. So I use Zoprolone. Uh, now and I use a sleep aid and I try to settle down at nighttime. But sleep is the is still that number one challenge for me. You should have gone to see Doc Rich. He slept all the time. Yeah, <laughs> just what's your secret? <laughs> <laughs> I stop breathing at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine. I had a couple little scares. I was having trouble swallowing. I had little like minor choking incidents. So I went and got that checked out, and I ended up at a specialist where they put a tube down your nose all the way into your stomach, and and you drink water. Oh. <laughs> It actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it still, it really kind of sucked. It got tired by about half an hour in of taking these sips of water. And it's kind of neat how you watched them go down on a computer. So I got a pretty funny picture of myself with this tube down my nose all the way into my stomach. Wow. That was probably the last last one for me. (laughs) If we're doing the kids, Murph broke his foot this summer. And so that's a call kind of like George you never want to get. He called me at work because I work at the hospital and said, hey, I'll meet you at ER in half an hour. And he had was riding in a golf cart and had his foot out the side and got it caught on a tree and bent it in half. So oh, Liz Frank, injury if you're scoring at home and uh, <laughs> six weeks in a cast and a bunch of stuff, but he's 100% now. Okay, good, good, good. On that happy note, I got a hockey game to go to, boys. It's been an absolute joy. Yeah, all right. Well, have a, have a great game. Don't get hurt because you don't have a doctor. <laughs> Wear your helmet. One of my last doctor visits was a stick in the nose, but that was a couple of years ago. <laughs> better, better in the nose than in the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll take those nose stitches every time. We've always been together. We forever can. Having fun all day. Piling around and laughing away. Just best friends. Best friends are we. I love you, yeah. Just before we wrap it up, we've got an email now. Snowdaypod at gmail.com. I know. Welcome to 1984. Record a voice memo on your phone and send it to us. We would love to put your voice on the show with comments on what you just heard, questions for the guys, some feedback on any one of the episodes. Thanks, too, to Shannon Bisson, The Secret Weapon. Thanks for listening. 